0: Wednesday, May 23, 2018, this is Born the Battle brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. Hope everybody got a chance to check out the Facebook Live event on DAV's Facebook page uh, on Monday evening when they toured one of our mobile vet centers. Uh, Pretty cool event they put on there. If you didn't get a chance to check it out, the video should still live at their Facebook page. Just go to DAV's uh, page there and, and check out that video. Most of my listeners know that uh, towards the end of uh, an episode, I usually plug some of our social media. Uh, one of our social media platforms that I want to uh, spotlight right now is our Instagram page. It's easily our fastest growing social media profile. Uh, we're at DEPT Vet Affairs, uh, and we just share a bunch of images from around our community, not just at VA but within the veteran community. Uh, We get some of our own. We take submissions. Uh, People contribute. Uh, It's a really cool place. The imagery is really awesome. And uh, it's a really great place to keep up with uh, things going on inside the veteran space. So this week's episode is going to feature Dr. Wendy Tenhula. Uh, She is the Director of Innovation and Collaboration for the Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention, she works closely with Make the Connection, uh, who and was on the panel uh, that you may have heard from Monday's episode, uh, where her and I spoke with Marine Corps veteran Moses Maddox about treatment that he received at VA and pursuing mental health and uh, pursuing a, a better life of mental health. She's not a veteran, but she's been working at VA for 18 years, and uh, her. I wanted to uh, speak with her and get more into some of the things... That we had talked about on the panel, or th- and things that we didn't get a chance to get to, um, and so after the panel, her and I, uh, the following day, sat down and had a conversation about mental health, about veterans getting care at VA, about uh, bridging the divide between veterans and and civilians, uh, and a number of other things. And um, I think it's a it's a level deeper than the conversation we got to have at uh, at the panel. Um, between her and I anyways uh, her c- contribution it's, it's a level deeper get a little bit more insights and, and some experience from her so um, this is dr. Wendy Tinhula, director of innovation and collaboration for the office of mental health and suicide prevention talking more about the importance of mental health
1: I was a gunner's mate Tonkin golf logistics Ramstein medic Kandahar.
0: As a veteran, it doesn't matter when or where you served. Infantry, Camp Pendleton. Or what you did. The VA has benefits that may be useful to you right now. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. Dr. Wendy Tenhula. They got it. Got it. They're working on it all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what is your official title? At, uh, and I always, I hope, and I start every one of my interviews this way, my audience is going to think that I have no idea who I'm talking who to any time that I'm talking to them.
1: <laughs> who are you?
0: Yeah, but what's your official title?
1: I'm the Director of Innovation and Collaboration in VA's Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention.
0: And what does that mean?
1: That means that I work closely with VA's Centers of Excellence and mental illness research, education, and clinical centers across the country. And it means that I support VA's national mental health outreach efforts through the Make the Connection campaign, and that I also oversee a number of um, specialized mental health programs at a national level. So our women's mental health program, military sexual trauma Family programs, the National Center for PTSD, um, and some other programs along those lines. Uh,
0: so your your you know your title is doctor. Um, what uh, I'm unfamiliar with becoming a doctor, other than that I know that you need a certain education far beyond what I'm willing to both experience and pay for. Um, so wh- where did you get your your doctorates?
1: So I have a. Ph.D. Or Ph.D., so sorry. That's okay. No, sorry. So I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a psychologist by right. training. Okay, we'll see. Um, it,
0: that's good to know. I, I don't know if I would have been able to tell someone that, that there was a yep. difference.
1: Yeah, so there's a, so um, psychiatrists are g- generally – or not generally. Psychiatrists have their medical degree and then go on to get specialized training in psychiatry. Psychologists go to graduate school and get a Ph.D. in psychology. And so I went to – after going to college and um, – then working for a couple of years as a research assistant, then I went back to graduate school at Northwestern University and got my Ph.D. in clinical psychology.
0: I learned that recently that it's called Northwestern because at the time of its inception, it was the most northwestern part of what we recognize to be the United States.
1: Yep, that's right.
0: Yep, that was it. Blew my mind when I when, <laughs> I, when I learned. I was like, oh my goodness, why it is makes it so- called
1: Northwestern?
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, whole time, whole life I've been like, that's such a stupid name for a co-. And then I learned, I was like, that's brilliant. That makes sense. Um, so what, what interested you in psychology?
1: Um, when I was in college, I wasn't sure actually what I wanted to major in. And I was taking a psychology class, it was second semester my sophomore year, and I was taking my first psychology class and I loved it. And so that was what got me on the path of um, being interested in psychology. And then over the rest of the time I was in college, I took additional classes that I really liked. I had the opportunity to do some research and sort of realized that the scope of what the field of psychology includes, um, includes what people think of as clinical psychology, the sort of dealing with mental health problems and conditions, but also is much broader than that. There's uh, uh, neuroscience and research elements and other um aspects to psychology that so so just the sort of breadth and of opportunities and and um, ideas that are part of the field of psychology just got me yeah excited as i was an undergrad
0: and the reason why i asked uh was because i um originally my i enrolled at american university as a psychology major and after a couple courses, realized you know as, as fascinating as this material is, I don't know if I actually want a job in psychology, and that's when I made my uh my career choice. So I'm always interested on in what kept people around for uh, for psychology. What was um, what what did you do between getting your PhD and VA? Is there is there time in there, or did, or did you start a VA?
1: So my first real job, so to speak, was yeah. in VA. It was a, a, a joint appointment between VA and University of Maryland Medical School, but there was sort of a path between between college and grad school. I did research for a couple of years in the Department of Ophthalmology um, at the University of Southern California. Just I wasn't I, I liked psychology as an undergrad. I wasn't 100 percent sure that I wanted to pursue it as a career and um, had an opportunity to do some research and um, did that for a couple of years and then went to grad school. And then as part of a PhD program in psychology, you do the final step of getting your PhD in clinical psychology as a year long internship. And I did that at the county medical center in Minneapolis. And just absolutely fell in love with the patient population. I had been on a path towards doing more of a research oriented career. And then, um, when I on my internship, I just really fell in love with doing clinical work and so then was looking for opportunities to do a mix of clinical work and research or find a way to kind of bring the two together. Um, and was moving, to the East Coast, and the job that I found um, was when the in Baltimore, the Mental Illness Research Education and Clinical Center, or the MIREC, had just been funded um, and was starting up, and um, so my boss was looking for somebody to help. Who the person who became my boss was looking for somebody to help get that center started, and the and it focuses on doing research and education and developing clinical interventions for people with serious mental illness, which is the patient population that I had worked at, worked with at the county hospital in Minneapolis. So um, that's what drew me um, into VA, and it was a joint appointment between VA and um, the University of Maryland Medical School and had a, that mix of doing th- things that were clinically relevant, but also training interns and postdocs and graduate students and um, doing some of my own research.
0: Okay, very well. Um, May is Mental Health Month, uh, as we mentioned. And, um, I think that I've been pleased in the in the time that I've been an adult, and then the time that I've been a veteran, on how much, more, how much more seriously America is taking mental health, and it's no people are no longer responding to the call to need. Examples. They're volunteering themselves to be the examples, which I think has been a huge step, not only for in the veteran space but in American society altogether. Um, in the you say, you say eighteen years with the VA, mm-hmm. yep. eighteen years with the VA. Um, in that time, can you describe that progression from when you started at VA to where we are now on how the not, not the industry of mental health, but the people that were willing to come forward and be the examples, that progression of of how much more likely that became. Uh, be, am I getting, Yeah, got the right question I there? think so. Yeah. I think
1: so. So what you're trying to get at is how has the conversation about mental health changed over time? Yeah, and, and
0: not only with the people advocating for for mm-hmm. mental health from a professional standpoint, mm-hmm. but the, 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 the people experiencing mm-hmm. it, willing to expose mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, there is, and absolutely, I think it has changed over the course of, I don't know what time frame to put on it, but but over the years, it has um, changed in our culture. I think we still have a lot of um, change still yet to do in order to really be open and um, not stigmatizing about mental health and mental health conditions and seeking mental health treatment. But I think it absolutely has changed a lot. And I think part of that is in the field of mental health, uh, there's been more and more of a focus on recovery, the idea that people are more than just their illness. So for example, people used to refer to someone with schizophrenia as a schizophrenic and now we're much more likely to say that it's a person with schizophrenia and that may seem subtle but it's a difference between recognizing that the that there's a person there that yeah. is that has a lot more to them than just a mental illness and and i think just that shift in the way we talk about things translates into People who are experiencing mental health conditions feeling more empowered to think about what goals they have and what things they want to accomplish with their life in the context of having a mental illness as well, but focusing more on strengths and um, a pathway to recovery as opposed to viewing having a mental health diagnosis as a a sentence to a life that's unhappy and in which the person doesn't have as much opportunity to accomplish things that they want to accomplish. And so I think that, that focus in in our field and and in our culture on recovery from mental health conditions as opposed to um, you know and, and we might be able to trace that back to the deinstitutionalization and improvements in treatments um, that have that allowed for people who even have the most serious mental health conditions to function better and do more with their lives than was previously possible so I think it's probably a combination of improved treatments and and which are um, continuing to improve all the time um, that we're much better at um, identifying what the problems are, identifying and and using effective treatments that then allow people to um, be able to kind of for lack of a better phrase, come out on the other side and be able to talk about what their experiences were in different in ways that um, they may not have been able to before. So I think that's at least part of it.
0: Um, And then so looking at the veteran space specifically, um, can you can you think of a turning point in where where veterans went went from uh, adversely responding to any diagnosis or idea that they're suffering from mental health, to them um, almost embracing it and letting it be a, a catalyst for, for their own motivation in, in life. If, if, if I'm getting there, um, some of these questions are a little bit more complex uh, <laughs> than uh, uh, they sound simpler in my head and become more complex as I try to uh, ask them. But um, I feel like 10 years ago, um, the idea, the, the feeling around the veteran space was, um, like they didn't, they didn't want, of course, no one wants to have PTSD. No one wants to have depression or anything like that. But there was like, almost like this guard of like, no, that's not me. I'm not, that, that's the other guy or that, you know, I didn't, I didn't have it that bad. Mm-hmm. And now it's become this acceptance. It's almost like being just being diagnosed with any physical ailment. Like, oh, okay, that's what I'm dealing with. Um, I'm now going to take the first step forward in handling this.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that willingness to, come forward is a result of those people who have come before and been willing to come forward and talk about their experiences. And, and, um, I think it has taken a lot of, um, shift in culture, people who, when they're in the military, generally what you're taught is to solve problems, get things done, accomplish your mission. And, um, you know, and, and that's a real, strengths oriented, you know, get things done kind of culture and so the idea that you might need to ask for help or that you might not be able to accomplish what you want to accomplish it can be a real sort of shock to or, or uh, it's it's out of sync with your that that person's perception of themselves or how they think they should be. Um, and that can create sort of an additional layer of challenge for someone who's been in the military to come forward or, or to re- even realize that what they're experiencing might be a sign of a mental health condition because they, they, you know, there's sort of this mentality of I should be able to handle things and I can take care of things for myself. And I'm, I'm, you know, responsible for taking care of the people around me. I, um, don't want to be someone who needs to be taken care of. And so, so taking that step or, or taking that sort of mental leap from actually you'll be in a better place to take care of other people and to do what you need to do if you do reach out for help. And if you do seek treatment, um, if you're struggling.
0: Yeah. So, so, um,
1: I'm not sure I answered your question.
0: I don't know if you did either. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I wanted to definitely talk to you today about comes from our discussion we had yesterday on the YouTube Live event that I didn't get a chance to really get around during the event was a veteran's ability to have their own voice during their treatment while they're pursuing treatment for mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one thing that veterans have been intimidated by is that if, they're, if they're concerned about... Being prescribed drugs and being able to buck that, or if they're okay with, with that, be, you know, inviting it, mm-hmm. you know. So um, what, what sort of agency does a veteran have on what happens in their mental health treatment should they go to the VA looking for treatment?
1: I would say that um, a veteran or anyone seeking mental health care should go into it with a strong sense of agency, that you are you have choices. There are different treatments available that are effective for any given mental health condition. That can be medication. It can be counseling. It can be a combination of the two. And sometimes it takes some time to figure out what's going to be the best, most effective thing for you. And the, way, the only way or the best way to get to that point is to be honest with yourself and be honest with your clinician about what is going on with you and to really think of it as a partnership. Um, they are in a much better position to help you if you come in with the idea that you're an active part of the treatment. You're an active, you're you're able and should be able to make decisions about your treatment um, at every step along the way. And so I hope people will come in with a strong sense of agency and a strong sense of um, – and, and oftentimes that can be intimidating because if you go into – it, you don't know what to ex- – many people haven't had mental health treatment before, may not know anybody who's a mental health provider, and, um, or, have had men, or have, may not have ever talked openly about someone who's had mental health treatment about what that was like. So you might go into the situation not having any idea what to expect. And sort of deferring to the expert in the room, and what I would encourage actually is the to ask a lot of questions and educate yourself, and um, you know learn about what the options are, so that you can make decisions and you can work with your provider to make decisions. VA actually has developed some um, what are called decision support aids or um, decision support tools to educate veterans and their family members about what treatments are available for example for ptsd and sort of they walk the person walk you through what are the different treatment options what questions might you ask what might you what can you expect if you go down a certain path with treatment and and um, those can also be really helpful in terms of helping someone feel like they have more of that sense of agency
0: yeah um something that I've, something that I've been taught and that I've learned in mental health is trying to resist mental time travel and and meaning not dwelling too much on what's happened in the past, not being too anxious about what's coming in the future but i I know a lot of getting past the 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 difficulties and all that is visiting those periods of time and embracing what's happened so um for someone that is you know, they have this thing that happened to them in the past and it's causing them trauma. They need to get past it. Um, how does, how do, from VA's perspective, how do we help that veteran, um, revisit that time for a sense of acceptance and and moving on without encouraging them to dwell too much on it and, 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 um, yeah, sitting there for too long. Mm
1: -hmm, Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. And, 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 um, Depending on what the problems are that someone's having, that the degree to which it, it can be helpful to revisit things in the past might be different. Um, so, but if someone ha- does have post traumatic stress disorder, um, one of the most effective treatments for PTSD is prolonged exposure, which does involve going back in time, so to speak, to um, re to revisit. Their the traumatic events that they've experienced and um, go through them in quite a bit of detail with a clinician and I think that's the key is is um, having a trained clinician to help guide you through that process is one of the things that can help you from getting sort of stuck in that dwelling that you described of you know what if you're concerned about dwelling too much on it and um, or don't see the point in going back to um, revisiting something that you know it's in the past I want to just want to forget about it if it's continuing to affect your life then it could be really powerfully helpful to go back and um, expose yourself so to speak to those memories again realize that they are, um, in the past and it helps your, um, it helps sort of change how your brain processes the memories in such a way that they're not, that they don't continue to interfere with your life going forward. And so, so there is a balance there though, between not just sort of dwelling in the past, but actually going back and revisiting the past in such a way that is going to help you move on.
0: Um, so we know there's, you know, i think when we all i think especially in the veteran space when we think ptsd we think of veterans that have that have uh experienced something either in combat during a deployment um we also know there's military sexual trauma and there's other events that can happen in the military that that also um is when we're talking about ptsd in in all of those scenarios is it is the same thing happening in the brain um like is uh if if i heard, if i found out that this person has ptsd from combat this person has ptsd from military sexual trauma are they both sort of psychologically experiencing the same thing or or do different events like i guess are there nuances to ptsd mm-hmm. yeah
1: and um you also make me think of, a, of something which is that not everyone that has those experiences goes on to develop PTSD. Um, and so something does happen that's different for different people. Um, we still, We still don't have a complete full understanding of what happens in the brain, and I'm absolutely not an expert on the, the neurobiology of, of PTSD, but it, do, it is um, similar treatments are effective. Um, regardless of the type of trauma, okay. um, whether it's military within a veteran population, whether it's combat or military sexual trauma, or in a non-veteran population, whether it's a sexual assault um, in the civilian world or a car accident, um, similar types of treatment are effective. And so it is they are similar um, in the sense that some of the same ways in which our brain processes those memories and the ways in which those memories can continue to affect us um, are the same or sort of regardless of what the type of trauma is.
0: Yeah. How how uh, how how has VA's treatment of mental health conditions, sort of overall, you don't have, have to pick, uh, or you can use one as an example if you'd like, but um, in your time here, how how, has, how have you seen that evolution improve and how, how different are we now than maybe we were t- five, ten years ago?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. VA really has been at the forefront of looking of trying to understand and develop and disseminate evidence-based treatments for PTSD, for depression, for anxiety, um, for other other types of difficulties. And so we really have changed. So for example, early on in my career, I was um, a therapist on a multi-site study looking at prolonged exposure for PTSD. At that point, um, it was a relatively new treatment. It was not widely available. And um, it was this was the largest study that had been done on a veteran population, I think, at that time. And since then, um, we have now, there, the evidence base has grown to the point where um, we feel like it, and in, in the um, VADOD clinical practice guidelines tell us, based on the evidence, that it prolonged exposure, for example, is a first-line treatment for PTSD um, and should be available. So our now we're at a point where our national policy for VA says at every VA medical center, prolonged exposure and also a treatment called cognitive processing therapy should be available because those are the ones with the strongest evidence base so that where whatever VA medical center a veteran goes to, they should be able to get those most um, strongly supported treatments, and um, we have developed national training programs where I think the latest numbers I saw is about 8,300 VA clinicians have been trained in one of those two most effective treatments for PTSD. And over 10,000 clinicians have been trained in a variety of, or it might be closer to 12,000, trained in a variety of evidence-based treatments. So we really have come a long way in ensuring that the treatments that are available in VA are of the highest quality uh, based on the strongest evidence we have and that our clinicians are trained in those um, in those therapies, and there's some research that's been done in the civilian sector to look at how prepared civilian um, clinicians are outside of our system to treat the kinds of difficulties that veterans are most likely to have, and um, have generally found that under 20% of clinicians in the civilian private sector have training in military culture and or evidence-based treatments for the most common mental health problems that veterans, um, encounter.
0: Yeah. Uh, and there's probably veterans that are, uh, that at some points have, you know, they, they, they hear about, you know, the mental health campaigns, um, you know, they, they, they seem to sometimes too often target the more extreme situations or the, or the, Um, you know, the the, the PTSD, the trauma, stuff like that. I'm sure there are veterans that are wondering, like, well, I'm not experiencing that, but I also don't feel right. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so what what should a a prompt be for someone who's confident that that's not what they're experiencing, but they know something's not quite Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When should they want uh, to go uh, uh, seek out treatment?
1: And oftentimes it is hard to distinguish between... What's, for example, just a normal sad mood? Everybody feels sad some of the times. That's a normal, it's a human emotion that everybody experiences versus depression. And at what point do you cross a line between um, between those two? And, you know, if you're having trouble sleeping or if you're feeling irritable or, or um, you know, losing your temper more often than you used to, you may not realize that that could be a sign that there is a mental health condition underlying those changes in your behavior and and that the, there are um, treatments available. So a couple of things to watch for. One is if somebody experiences or notices a change in their behavior or their how they're feeling from how it was before. That could be a strong signal that there's something that's worth getting checked out there. Um, and you're absolutely right that not every uh, PTSD is the thing you hear about most among when when people talk about or think about veterans' mental health. Um, but depression is actually the most common mental health condition among veterans as well as the general population. And um, also substance use disorders are quite common. And so, it's um, R- VA has services available for the full range of mental health conditions. Things like if you're um, Having trouble sleeping, you're having trouble concentrating, you're feeling irritable. If other people in your life have commented to you that you don't seem the same, or have expressed concern to you, um, if you're um, drinking or using drugs, or engaging in risky behaviors, um, things that you normally wouldn't think are safe or or could cause you to get yourself into trouble, these are all things in addition to the sort of hallmark symptoms of PTSD, like flashbacks and recurrent nightmares and memories, um, that could be a sign of some sort of a mental health condition and are, um, probably worth at least sort of checking into or, or learning a little bit more about.
0: So some, um, I want to talk about mental health, um, in a proactive sense. Um, I didn't get a therapist until I was in a good space. Um, which 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 was counterintuitive kind of when I when I told people that and I was like yeah I'm in a good place now and I've recently just got a therapist and they're like oh I'm like yeah because I probably because when I get depressed the last thing I want to do is find a therapist <laughs> and talk <laughs> right? about yeah. how bad things are exactly and um, it's easier for and I and it it came in handy I had, for <laughs> two three months my therapist and I would talk about uh, my productivity during the day you know little little personal things that got to me and then one day she was like so how have things been going and that was my prompt to be like actually i'm kind of depressed right now rather than become depressed and then find someone and then i have to go to them with that first Mm -hmm. bit of information they got it out of me um what you know either from a personal sense a professional sense from va from use a doctor whatever whatever lens you want to use here Um, how can you speak on the the proactiveness of mental health and how people can take care of themselves and 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 put those support systems in place before they get to a bad time?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think it's something that we as a culture don't pay much attention to in a proactive way. And so I think the more we can educate kids about mental health so that as they get older and may run into problems or know people that run that have difficulties um the more we can um just be having open conversations about mental health and feel comfortable asking people about how they're doing and really then listening to the answer um i from a personal standpoint i remember the last time i went for a um Just a routine checkup that my doctor said. So, and you don't drink much, right? And you're not, no problems with stress. And um, that was the way in which she at least was asking me questions about drinking and drug use and about um, stress and, you know, whether. And so, sort of screening in a rough sense about mental health, but it was clear from the way that she asked the questions that she was not interested in, and in, she was not opening the door for much conversation unless I had. I hope that if I were really struggling and something were wrong at that time, that I would have said something I would have pushed to open the conversation. But I, so I think that, and that's even within the medical field. Um, so I think we are not as a culture as proactive and, um, on top of, um, kind of being prepared to help each other address mental health, um, issues as, as we could be.
0: The, so I've contacted the veterans crisis line twice, um, because of a friend that I thought needed help. Mm -hmm. And each time they, after I was done telling them what I had, what I was trying to tell them, they would return with, how are you doing? And, I thought it was brilliant that they were showing concern for my mental health because one thing that we take for granted as person as people that are experiencing mental health issues and do have support groups is how our mental health conditions are affecting those around us whether or not they are being adversely affected by it long term or short term but just in that moment how it's how they're dealing with it how does va tr- um coach are the the veterans or the family members that they're dealing with how to make it a team effort mm-hmm. and to be concerned with each other's mental health um, so that way everybody's situation is considered.
1: Right, right. That's a great question. Um, and it is oftentimes the case that it's a friend or a family member that first notices that something's not quite right or that notices a change in someone's behavior that they're withdrawing from friends or family or from things that they normally like to do. They're not doing them anymore or that they're more irritable than usual. So it's so it absolutely um, number one, friends and family are really oftentimes critical in helping recognize when something's going wrong and and needs that needs to be addressed and number two friends and family are absolutely affected by um the sort of ramifications when someone is struggling and so thank you for calling the crisis line on behalf of your um friends and and reaching out for that help um va has a couple of things that that i'll mention that um to help with that sort of situation, there are there's a program called Coaching into Care. That's a VA program. It's a telephone coaching service. So a friend or family member who is concerned about a veteran can call, and. Uh, um, licensed mental health professional on the other end of the line, can sort of talk them through, talk about what their concerns are, talk them through how to start, what can be a really difficult conversation if you're concerned about someone, can help them identify what the steps might be to get the person in to help, depending on how severe the situation is or what their um, benefits are, what insurance they have, et cetera, so they can help sort of figure out what Pra- from a practical standpoint, because that also can be sort of overwhelming if you're concerned about someone, but you yourself, or they have never sought mental health care, you might not even know where to start. Um, and so a program like coaching into care can help on a practical level. But also, they are very mindful of um, how hard it is to how, how it does affect a family member, um, if, if someone in the family is struggling and, and providing support to the family member along the way. Um, as well. So that's something that's available. Yeah. For free to any. For free. Friend or family Good. of a veteran who's concerned.
0: Yeah. Um, there's so many resources at VA that um that I think just don't get talked about enough. Uh, or at least that, um, that aren't being recommended enough past the personal recommendation of you know person to person. Um, because I I work here and I don't think I've ever <laughs> I've ever heard of that so. Um. We've, for a long time, many veterans have been trying to bridge the gap between veterans and civilians, and one of the ways that we've been doing that is trying to trying to show that a lot of our difficulties and challenges are more are more alike than they are different. Um, other than the cause of PTSD, depression, and stuff, and stuff like that, what are ways that a veteran's experience is unique to maybe that of one a civilian and what are some major ways that they parallel each other more than more than they don't
1: i think you're exactly right that they're more alike than they are different um some things that might be different and trying not to overgeneralize, but um some differences might be attitudes towards seeking treatment. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit before about how um, you're trained in the military to solve problems and get things done and stay focused on your mission and, and take care of the people around you. And and um, so there there can be some sort of cultural reluctance among veterans to seek treatment that isn't quite as strong among veterans um, Non-veterans, but I think when we um, talked to Moses yesterday for the the um, YouTube live um, event. I loved his phrasing of, um, that veterans don't have a corner on the market and when it comes to mental health. Um, and I think there really are more similarities than differences between the types of conditions, the types of difficulties that veterans have and non-veterans have and the types of treatments that are effective for non-veterans are the same as the types of treatments that are effective for veterans. And so there are, um, absolutely sort of crossover and, and, um, um, you know, overlap or similarities in in the kinds of experiences and in the kinds of things that can be helpful. Does so that answer your question?
0: It does. Okay. It does. Um, and I've spent most of this uh, conversation just asking you questions that I'm generally curious about. Uh, but I suppose we should tell people a little bit about Make the Connection, which is um, uh, in large a, a a a large component of va that's that's targeted towards mental health um we have the veterans crisis line as a as a support system for people to reach out to we have obviously the um the physicians and the you know we have the medical centers that are actually treating and then make the connection is this nice little hub that uh for people that are just curious about mental health if they're Um, If they're just looking for possibly a story to resonate with or to better understand, um, there's a lot of great content there. Uh, But past what I'm just describing it as, what exactly is Make the Connection and why is it useful to our community?
1: Make the Connection, as you described, is a a hub is a great way to say it. It's our national mental health outreach effort, the hub of which is the the MakeTheConnection.net website. And on the website, you can find information about um, different kinds of stressful life experiences that might affect somebody, um, signs and symptoms of mental health conditions, information about types of treatment that are available for different mental health conditions, and um, also a whole bunch of resources where you can go to learn more. Um, There is also a resource locator on the Make the Connection website where people can enter their zip code or where their location and find both VA and non-VA mental health and substance use disorder treatment resources. We know that not all veterans come to VA. Not all veterans want to come to VA, um, and that's fine. And for that reason, we want to make sure. And, and we also hope that Make the Connection can help change the conversation about mental health, not just for veterans, but for the nation as a whole. And so that those are sort of for both of those reasons, we have on there, um, community the ability to find resources in your community that aren't VA resources, as well as the VA resources, and um, the um, there was something else I wanted to say, and now I can't remember what it was. Um, oh, and and um, you mentioned. Um, that you can go on Make the Connection and find videos and look for a story that might resonate with you. And um, there are on the MakeTheConnection.net website hundreds of veterans who have come forward and told their own stories of challenges they've faced, treatment they've gotten, what's been helpful for them, and how they've gone on, what things have helped them go on to live happier and healthier lives. And they, there are veterans from all branches of service, all eras of service, all demographic groups with all kinds of different mental health conditions. It's not a focus specifically on trauma or on any particular condition, but all kinds of life experiences, all kinds of signs and symptoms. And um, there are individual stories. And then there are also what we refer to as compilation videos on particular topics. So you could go in and find a um, video on how to find a therapist and it's several veterans talking about their experiences of trying to find a therapist and find the treatment that works best for them. Um, and there, there are several different examples of specific sort of topic areas covered by those compilations where you can hear from a number of different veterans perspective.
0: Okay. Uh, when is, is there anything that we have talked about that you want to make sure you get to get to expand on or something that we've missed, Anything that you want to uh, add here in closing?
1: Um, One thing that I would mention is you you mentioned that VA has a lot of different resources, and oftentimes um, people don't even know about them unless you happen to hear about them from somebody. One other resource along those lines that um, I'll mention. um, At the website, veterantraining.va.gov, there are a number of um, self-help online self-help web-based um, self-help programs one is focused on um, it's called moving forward and it's focused really just on general problem-solving skills with the idea that everybody runs into problems and everybody could use some help and and continuously develop better ways of solving those problems there's one that's focused on anger and irritability and managing anger and irritability there's a, a um, online, course on parenting on there as well as um, one focusing on insomnia. So we've taken some of the most common challenges that um, we know people have and develop some online self-help courses that are available 24-7 totally anonymously that people can just go and do themselves if um, if they would find that helpful. And it also might help them determine whether if they're having some difficulty, whether they actually need to seek some additional help or whether just getting some tools and developing some skills on their own is going to be enough. And so it, it can also help help kind of sort that out as well.
0: What is a way to address insomnia? Or, or not insomnia, but just difficulty to sleep, mm-hmm. I guess we'll call it that. Um, I remember... I know people that, have, that swear by like, note-taking, like if you're awake to like write until your mind's mm-hmm, kind of done mm-hmm. and then go to sleep. Like, <laughs> what other exercises might there be?
1: There are all kinds of tips and tricks for um, improving. And, and it depends on whether you're having trouble getting to sleep. Or whether you're waking up in the middle oh, of the yeah. night, and so, or whether you're waking up early in the morning. So it sort of depends. There are different kinds of insomnia, okay. um, and sort of how you address them depends on um, exactly what's going on. But in, um, for example, if someone's having trouble getting to sleep, it's recommended that they not just lie there in bed and um, you know let their thoughts roam, or, or lie there in bed in, and and but to get up and do something. For a short period of time, and then try to go go back to bed when they feel tired again, um, rather than lying in bed just not feeling tired or not being able to get to sleep, and um, the the online. Um self-help course on insomnia actually is um, a great resource for some additional tips and and tricks and and um, there is effective um, cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia is quite effective without medication there are some people take medication to help them sleep but also um, there are quite effective treatments for um, insomnia that don't involve medication
0: gotcha dr wendy tenhula thank you so much for joining me
1: thanks for having me
0: VA's round-the-clock hotline can put veterans who are homeless in touch with the resources and support they earned through their military service. Call 877-424-3838. Big thanks to Dr. Tinhula for, for joining me and uh, answering all of my questions. Uh, a lot of those questions I was just asking as I became curious about them, um, because as a veteran myself, as someone who has had mental health uh, situations to deal with, um, I n- figured that uh, any curiosities that I may have are ones that fellow veterans and their family members would would share. So um, that's, that's how that conversation went, and I thought it went really well. Make the connection.net slash MHM is where you can go to find more stories from more veterans uh, about their lives and their journeys into uh, better a better quality of life with better mental health. This week's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Carrie Langhorn. Service US Navy rank surgeon. Conflict was the Mexican campaign year of honor, 1914. Citation reads. For extraordinary heroism, in Battle Engagement of Veracruz, 22 April 1914, Surgeon Langhorn carried a wounded man from the front of the Naval Academy while under heavy fire. We honor his service. That wraps up episode 104. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Lots of entertainment out there. A lot of podcasts. I'm sure we're one of a dozen that you listen to, but I do appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you... Subscribe to us on a podcatcher, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, whatever app you use, would appreciate a five-star rating and review so we can uh, move up the ranks and reach more people with these great stories from these veterans. Follow us on Twitter at D-E-P-T, Vet Affairs for more stories from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.